Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I'm Tanner, and I'm going to be talking about stuff that happened. Today, U.S. President Joe Biden addressed the United Nations General Assembly, which means that representatives from essentially every single nation on the planet gathered in one room, and President Joe Biden had the opportunity to stand over a podium and talk to them directly. And I watched this entire thing, and I have a couple things I want to say about it, because he made it very clear where the United States stands on uh, a bunch of different issues, chiefly regarding their foreign relations to several crucial countries in the Eastern Hemisphere. So, I'm just going to dive right into this. I'm not going to take a lot of time doing any introductions or anything like that, except remember, if you enjoy the, enjoy the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a five-star review. And if you so desire, let me know why you enjoy my analysis on certain world events. And if you like my historical episodes, I'm going to be cranking out some more of those. So make sure you stay tuned and listen in. If you enjoy them, leave a five-star review. It means a lot to me. All right, let's get started. So in about a half hour address, President Joe Biden addressed the United Nations General Assembly. He talked about a lot of things. He talked about clean energy. He talked about climate change. He talked about uh, flooding in Pakistan. He talked about uh, war in Ethiopia. He talked about war in Yemen. He talked about uh, the crisis in Venezuela. He talked about a lot of things. He kind of just touched on a lot of different topics, but there were three nations that he addressed directly in a negative way that really kind of unnerved me because he made it very clear that the United States is drawing battle lines. The United States is drawing a line in the sand and it's saying, if anybody crosses this line, things are going to get really ugly. Now, when it comes to the whole Russia situation, the United States has not drawn a firm line in the sand. They have not drawn a line that says we will put boots on the ground. We will fight a war. The line in the sand has not, well, I should say the line of the sand has not changed. And the line of the sand is if Russia attacks uh, any North Atlantic Treaty Organization country, uh, then it will be war. It will be World War III. That is a line in the sand, but that line in the sand has not changed. And we have not drawn, we did not draw a firm line in the sand about Ukraine. And that's why Russia's in Ukraine. And because we didn't draw a firm line in the sand, we're kind of embroiled in this gross proxy war where billions and billions of dollars of U.S. taxpayer money is flooding into a country that's not our ally. And because that line in the sand was never drawn and it was never made ex expressly clear how the United States would handle an invasion of Ukraine, now we've gotten deeply embroiled in an issue and uh, it's really affecting all of us. But I think we've learned our lesson a little bit and Biden has drawn a firm line in the sand on two other issues. So, first of all, I'm going to talk about what he said about Russia, because even though we're, it's very clear how uh, the executive branch of the United States feels about the Russian invasion of Ukraine right now, there was a, there were a few new things that were said that uh, change how I've seen how I see this situation right now. So right after the invasion. I mean, within days, maybe a week after the invasion, there was a there was an emergency session of the United uh, United Nations, and they voted on who wanted to condemn it, who wanted contempt, who wanted to uh, condemn Russian aggression, and what nations were going to say we abstain, we're not going to say anything about it, and what nations supported Russian aggression. And most nations, uh, a lot of nations, condemned it. Um, 
some nations abstained and didn't vote and other nations that were close to Russia supported the, the invasion. But for the most part, most nations that were allied that, well, not that we're allied with, but most nations that uh, are Western nations with democratic governments, they condemned the invasion. But in all reality, that condemnation doesn't matter. I mean, if you get condemned by the United Nations, it's, it's essentially like a slap on the wrist. You don't get any actual penalties from the United Nations. The United Nations doesn't have the power to penalize anybody except for kick them out of the United Nations, which, again, doesn't really do anything except basically invigorate them with whatever they were doing before, because now they don't have to answer to the United Nations about anything. But in Biden's speech to the United Nations today, just a few hours ago, Joe Biden expressly called upon nations in the United Nations to join in standing in solidarity with Ukraine and condemning Russia. This is different than a vote because Biden is speaking as the figurehead of the United States, as the head representative of the United States, and is essentially saying the United States, who is not Ukraine and is not allied with Ukraine, is calling upon other nations, all other nations, to stand with Ukraine. Instead of just saying, we don't like what Russia's doing, he's calling on, he's calling upon people and nations to stand alongside Ukraine. He also called upon every nation in the United Nations to defend the right of Ukraine to exist as a sovereign nation. Now, that is jarring because, like I said, he's not calling for a condemnation of Russia. He's calling for people to defend the right of Ukraine to exist, which if you were to read between the lines, he's essentially calling upon the United Nations to stand against Russia. He went on to talk about how much aid the United States and other nations have provided to Ukraine and the sanctions the United States has put on Russia. So basically... Before this, it was mostly just the North Atlantic Treaty Organization who was being called upon to stand against Russia. But now, today, Biden has expanded that to encompass the entire world. He's calling upon all national governments to stand against Russia in whatever way they see fit. Now, there are nations that already support Russia, and they will probably not stop supporting Russia. They will probably, yeah, they probably won't stop supporting Russia because they're already in too deep with Russia. Their economies are too embroiled with Russia. They're already, they've already committed to Russia, so they can't now backtrack on that. But nations who are either ambiguous or who have already stood against Russia are now being called upon by President Biden to defend Ukraine. Take that rhetoric as you will. But the way that I'm seeing it, there are, like I said, battle lines being drawn. People are starting to polarize. Nations are starting to polarize. If you stand with the East or if you stand with the West. That makes me nervous for obvious reasons. Remember how World War I started? Kind of scary. So why did Biden say these things expressly today? Well, first of all, he might have been planning it for a while, but... In the past couple days, Russia has announced that they are going to begin carrying out referendums in occupied territories in eastern and southern Ukraine in order to annex their territory, take it from Ukraine and make it officially part of Russia like they did in Crimea. So a referendum is basically when citizens or representatives vote directly on a specific issue in a, in a country. In this case, it's to join the Russian Federation and formally leave Ukraine. 
So the areas that Russia is hoping to annex, the places that they're holding referendums are the separatist breakaway republics of Donetsk and Lugansk, the two republics where this initial war began back, all the way back in 2014, as well as the areas in southeastern Ukraine called Kherson and Zaporizhia. Essentially, the eastern border of Ukraine connecting down to Crimea would become part of Russia were these referendums to go in Russia's favor. Now, I talked about this several months ago that this is this was the plan that I thought Russia had. I thought they had, that Putin had every intention of annexing parts of Ukraine to make them part of Russia, uh, inhibit Ukraine's access to the Black Sea, economically kneecap them. I, I said this months ago. I genuinely thought this was part of Putin's plan. And so I'm actually kind of patting myself on the back today. But why does this matter now? Well, yesterday... Vladimir Putin ordered a partial mobilization of Russia's military and economy. He is instituting a draft and preparing to move more soldiers around. This is kind of freaky because up to this point, Russia was still classifying the invasion of Ukraine as a, quote, special military operation, which is basically how the United States uh, classified their invasion of Iraq back in 2003, before it became an all-out war. They never outright declared war on Ukraine. Because of that, Russia's economy has been operating normally other than the sanctions. But what does mobilization mean? Well, Putin's mobilization of his army means that he fully intends to put a sizable portion of Russia's, Russia's GDP toward the war, as countries do when they declare war on somebody, and will probably escalate it as he hasn't been going, uh, this invasion hasn't been going nearly as well as he hoped. In the last two weeks, the Ukrainian army has devastated Russian lines in the north of Ukraine and regained huge swaths of Ukrainian land. And that no doubt frustrates Putin, who said he could take Kyiv in a matter of days back before the invasion. Now we're looking at almost eight months of war, and he's nowhere near Kyiv. He tried to attack it twice, didn't work out. Okay, now put two and two together. The territories that are, uh, that have planned referendums, let's say they hold the referendums and they join Russia. Donetsk and Lugansk officially are part of Russian territory at that point, according to Russia. Ukraine and the wider world don't recognize the referendums as legitimate, which the referendums probably wouldn't be legitimate because they're in a war and things aren't, you know, legal processes in a war zone generally aren't legitimate. So Ukraine attacks those territories because Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, still considers those territories to be part of Ukraine because they don't recognize the referendums as legitimate. And it's just trying to regain its, it regain its lost territory from Russia. Russia labels those attacks as an attack on Russian soil and move to respond accordingly. What happens when you attack a sovereign nation on their own soil? They consider it an act of war. So then Russia dispenses with the special operation talk and declares an all-out war on Ukraine, freeing up the entirety of its military and economy to focus on wiping the Ukrainian army off the face of the earth. Putin has already ordered partial mobilization of his forces, so he's gearing up for that. What happens next? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I have been wrong at several different points of this invasion. I thought that the Ukrainian offensive was going to stall and break apart, and that would be the end of the Ukrainian army, and I was completely wrong about that. They have really surprised me, and... Uh, they totally faked out the Russian army. They were supposed to attack in the south. They ended up attacking in the north. Russian forces shored up in the south, and they were totally unprepared in the north. They've lost tons of territory. 
And I think that's why Putin has decided to start annexing now, because this is not going nearly as well as he hoped it was going to going to go. But anyway, back to Biden's speech in the United Nations. You may have heard, but a few days ago, President Biden went on 60 Minutes, the TV show. Uh, most of us don't watch TV, so we don't even really know what 60 Minutes is. Apparently it was this big thing back in the 90s. But anyway, he went on that and straight up said that the United States will put boots on the ground if Taiwan in Taiwan if China were to invade it. Like, he literally said that. He said, like, in no uncertain terms, yes, the United States will send troops to, to Taiwan if China invades. Then, like two hours later, the White House released a statement that says, actually, never mind, we won't put boots on the ground in Taiwan. Now, this is funny because this is the fourth time that Biden has said he'll put troops in Taiwan if China invades, and the fourth time that the White House has said, actually, no. So, who's in charge? I'm not sure. Obviously, Biden's not in charge. Uh, or if Biden is in charge, it means the White House has gone rogue. Or if the White House is in charge, that means Biden's gone rogue. Either way, there is a fundamental disconnect between the White House and President Joe Biden. And that is very interesting. But at the United Nations, Biden said he supports the one China policy. Now, we've heard that term a lot lately, one China policy. But what does that mean? Little history lesson here. Back, uh, basically back in 1972, the United States released a statement on its China-Taiwan position. And it went like this, quote, The United States acknowledges that all Chinese on either side of the Taiwan Strait maintain there is but one China and that Taiwan is a part of China and does not challenge that position. Okay. If you know the history of Taiwan and China you will see that this statement is incredibly ambiguous and does not really give away which side the United States is on. China considers Taiwan Southeast China, and Taiwan considers mainland China West Taiwan, but also considers itself the rightful government of China. Remember, Chinese Civil War, Chinese national government fled to Taiwan back in the 1950s, Chinese Communist Party took over mainland China, China considers Taiwan part of China, um, so basically... Both, both territories consider themselves the rightful government of China, and technically, the Chinese Civil War is still ongoing. Very brief history lesson there. So basically, the United States kept, that all, kept their uh, position on Taiwan and China pretty ambiguous. It said, yeah, there's one China, and Taiwan's part of it, and we recognize that. So basically, that means that the United States is on both sides. I gotta say... Very clever political maneuvering by whoever wrote that speech, <laughs> whoever invented that policy. But Biden reiterated that statement in front of God and everybody this morning at the United Nations. Regardless of the ambiguity of the one China policy, Biden has made it very clear that he has every intention of defending Taiwan. The White House may have other plans, but Biden himself, the president, plans to order the defense of Taiwan if China attacks. And remember, the president has absolute authority in declaring war on other nations. Congress doesn't have to vote on that. I mean, if what I learned in high school is correct, then again, I learned it in high school and U.S. education system is rough sometimes, so I might be totally wrong in that, but that's what I understand. Later in his speech, Biden made one more country shift in their seat a little bit. 
Addressing Iran's nuclear program, Biden said in no uncertain terms, we will not allow Iran to obtain a nuclear weapon. Now, he softened that statement a little bit after saying things like, let's do it democratically and all that. But basically, he said straight up that the United States will not let Iran get nukes. If you've been paying attention to Iran, they really want nukes. And they have a pretty fleshed out nuclear program at the moment. Okay, after all this, let's zoom out. Today, Biden called upon the entire planet to defend Ukraine from Russian aggression as Russia plans to annex large swaths of the country and mobilize its entire army, essentially pledged that the United States will defend Taiwan if China attacks and vowed not to let Iran get nuclear weapons. Last week, Iran joined the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is a strong economic, commercial, energetic, and transitorial organization in the East that provides incentives for cooperation between various nations. And who are the two nations who head up this organization? Russia and China. Look, I don't know if anyone else is seeing this, but these look like battle lines to me. As Russia and China's economies collapse, they're going to seem more and more desperate to make something happen to unite their people against a common enemy. And wars in Ukraine and Taiwan seem to be the golden ticket to that. Remember, if your people are upset with the government or upset with each other, best thing to the United Nation is to come up with an outside enemy. It's only a matter of time before the situation gets so dire that the United States has to either back off entirely or go all in. And that could mean a lot of people die. Now look, I'm just reading the news and making connections. It's just my pastime. That's what, this is what I love to do almost more than anything. And these connections don't seem to be something I'm just coming up with out of thin air. Maybe a year ago, people would call me a conspiracy theorist, but it doesn't feel like that. This feels pretty real. So remember, like I say, like, like I've said at the end of every single one of these big crisis podcasts, the world will survive and the human race will survive. Most of us will be okay, but we're in for a great global shakeup and it's going to get tough. So normally what I will say is, um, you know, make a date with your loved ones, spend time with people you really enjoy being around, take up an old hobby, things like that. And obviously do all of those things because like I always say, the shakeups are easier to walk through when you're doing things that you love, surrounded by people that you love. But now I'm going to talk a little bit more specifically, and I'm going to say, get some food storage, not because I think there's going to be a nuclear war or anything, but because food could get kind of expensive. Supply lines could get cut again. And uh, so make sure you have food storage, make sure you have gasoline storage, make sure you have water storage, and not just like put a, put a, tarp in your bathtub and fill it up with water. I mean, get like real water barrels that you can seal shut, fill them up with water and then seal them off. Make sure you have plenty of water for at least a month or so after, uh, in, in term, you know, for whatever crisis could happen. If you're really feeling like things could get really bad really quick, I would say buy a wood burning stove so that you can keep your home warm in case of, uh, in case gas prices go completely ridiculously crazy. Like they already have in the European union. Remember, things could get bad. It's important to be prepared for those things when they do happen. Now, I'm going to go make a date with my family. I I mean, I see them several times a week, but I feel like I need to see them a little bit more just in case. Um, 
Thank you all for listening so much. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, head over, to, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop me a five-star review. Tell your friends and tell your family about this podcast if you enjoy it, if it helps keep you informed. If you feel like it's good that I'm out here doing the thing I love to do and helping some of you out in the process. All right. I'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening.